This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, As-Sirat al-Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. Uh, I know that we've been off for the last uh, few weeks. Uh, we had the Sira intensive over the winter break and uh, I was traveling as well. So alhamdulillah, wanted to go ahead and uh, get started again so that we can inshallah... Um, continue on with the series, inshallah, as consistently as possible. So, before we went for the break, uh, we completed basically the, um, the study of the Battle of Badr, which includes not only the battle itself, the action in the battlefield, if you will, but we talked about the circumstances leading up to the Battle of Badr, some of the... Um, you know, preparations uh, and the uh, days leading up to the battle and the different uh, exchanges that were going on at that time. We talked, we talked about the arrival at Badr of both the Muslims and the Kuffar of Quraysh. We talked about the actual battle. And we also then discussed the aftermath of the battle, both immediate and uh, up till a week after the Battle of Badr. And alhamdulillah, we were able to conclude with a, uh, basically a very brief uh, discussion or kind of a run-through of Surah Al-Anfal, Surah number 8, which details the entire battle. It's one of the most unique surahs in the Qur'an. It was revealed in its entirety at once, and it at length, from beginning till end, uh, talks about the Battle of Badr very appropriately. So what we're going to start with, inshallah, uh, in this session is talking about the remainder of the second year of Hijrah. So again, in case somebody um, might not recall, the Battle of Badr happened towards, it happened in the second half of the uh, second year of the Prophet wasallam's residence in the city of Medina. So it happened in the month of Ramadan, the middle of Ramadan, in the second year of Hijrah, which basically only leaves a few months till the end of the year. So what we're going to be doing, inshallah, is over, uh, we'll see how many uh, sessions it takes, but possibly over the next two to three sessions, inshallah, we'll talk about the remainder of the second year, and that will lead us right into the third year of Hijrah, which was another very eventful year uh, from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. What we're going to be talking about today is, a major event from the personal life of the Prophet ﷺ, and therefore it's a major event for all Muslims when studying the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And this happened about a month after the Battle of Badr. So if you recall, we talked about in about a week or so after the Battle of Badr was over, the Prophet ﷺ, in the next week or two, he was handling the issue of the prisoners that were taken at the Battle of Badr. Now one of the prisoners that was taken was Abu Al-As. Abu Al-As was the son-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ. He was married to the eldest daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha. Zainab bintu Rasulillahi ﷺ. So the Prophet Abu Al-As at this particular time was not Muslim. 
And the Prophet ﷺ, once he was captured, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, she sent, she sent a necklace uh, to ransom her husband because everyone was sending some type of wealth or money to secure their release. Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, she sent a necklace that belonged to her to, for the release, to secure the release of her husband. And the Prophet ﷺ, we talked about the event when he saw the necklace, he became very emotional. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ started tearing up. The Sahaba recognized that the Prophet ﷺ was very moved by something, but they weren't sure what it was. They weren't sure what exactly it was. So they asked the Prophet ﷺ, is everything okay, O Messenger of God? And that's when the Prophet ﷺ informed them that this necklace that my daughter Zainab has sent for her husband, Abu al-As, it actually belonged to my beloved wife Khadija radiallahu anha, Zainab's mother. And seeing the necklace reminds me of the days of Khadija. And the Prophet ﷺ very emotionally, but also, you know, very honestly, you know, again, setting the example of integrity, of leadership, the type of integrity that is necessary to truly lead people. The Prophet ﷺ requested the Sahaba that if you give permission, if you permit, I would like to release my son-in-law to be able to go back to Makkah where my daughter waits for him. But I would also like to be able to send this necklace back to my daughter. It's one of the last few things remaining that she still has of her mother's, my wife Khadija. And so I don't want her to lose this. And of course the Sahaba radiallahu anhum wouldn't you know, even think twice about something like this at the request of the Prophet ﷺ. But it goes to show you the Prophet ﷺ, instead of issuing a, a command uh, or an edict, the Prophet ﷺ sought permission and sought counsel from the companions. So at that time, but the Prophet ﷺ, again if you recall, discussed one thing with Abu al-As. He said that my daughter Zainab, number one, she is a believer. Mu'mina, Muslima, she is a believer. She's a Muslim. She belongs here now with her people. Number two, she's from my family. And I want her close to me. The Prophet ﷺ, if you recall, when they came back from the Battle of Badr, one of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ was being buried as they returned back from Badr because she had died due to illness. She was one of the, uh, one of the people who had uh, made the migration to uh, Habasha, Abyssinia. And as people used to fall very ill during travel at that time, she had fallen ill and she passed away due to her sickness. And so the Prophet ﷺ, realizing he had just lost one of his daughters, he said, I need Zainab with me. So I will release you on one condition that you will send my Zainab to me. And Abu al-As agreed. He said, I understand. And so when Abu al-As returned back to Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ said, my people, I will send someone to bring Zainab to Medina. Obviously, Badr has just happened though. Alright, Badr has just, excuse me, Badr has just happened. And the Muslims had a very... Uh, a very, you know, huge victory. Right? They've soundly defeated the Meccans, the Quraysh. And the people in Mecca right now are still very upset, to say the least, about the outcome of the Battle of Badr. So Muslims can't just march into Mecca and show their face around Mecca right now. So the Prophet ﷺ said, I will send some people that I trust to escort Zainab back to Medina, but they can't come into Mecca. So what they will do is, they will come to as close to Mecca as possible while laying low, out of sight. 
And then they will send the word into Mecca that they are here. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he sent Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so of course if you remember who Zayd ibn Haritha is, he's like the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ. He's a young man who the Prophet ﷺ raised as one of his own. So the Prophet ﷺ sends Zayd bin Haritha. And along with him he sent another man from the Ansar, the, name, the man's name is not mentioned. But the Prophet ﷺ sent another man from amongst the Ansar. They went and arrived right outside of Mecca. Alright, right, it actually mentions um, the place, the name of the place that they arrived at, which was Batnu Ya'jaj. Batnu Ya'jaj, right outside of Mecca. They came there and they hid out over there. The Prophet ﷺ had a ring, um, and the Prophet ﷺ had sent his ring with Zayd to be kind of the signal to Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, that because again, because of the situation in Makkah, now imagine what life for Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha is like. She's the daughter of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who lives in Makkah, and as the Makkans are coming back from the battle of Badr, with the defeat at Badr, and all the people that have been killed at Badr, and been captured at Badr, and the daughter of Muhammad sallallahu lives in Makkah. So imagine what her life is like right now. It's It's frightening. Right, and this is some of the. This is one of the things. These are the types of things that we overlook when we study the life of the Prophet ﷺ. We very conveniently talk about it because we see it on a timeline, or it's got a Wikipedia page, and so we very conveniently talk about it as. And the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ lived in Makkah at this time, and then after Badr she went and joined her father, the Prophet ﷺ, in Medina. No, no, no. You have to understand. As far as the Makkans of Quraysh are concerned, Muhammad did this to us. And Muhammad's daughter lives in Mecca? So imagine what her life was like. 24 hours a day, she was, wait, you know, she was expecting somebody to try to do something terrible. Of course, she had her trust in Allah. She knew that Allah would protect her. But at the same time, she, didn't, she fully expected these people to at least try to do something to her. So she's living in these circumstances, being very cautious, very guarded. And so the Prophet ﷺ sent his ring along with Zayd. Now when Zayd who arrives there with his travel companion, the Ansari, he sends um, someone, he finds a slave or a servant, gives him some money, some food, and you know, wraps up the ring. And then he says that, I need you to take this package delivered for me to such and such place. There should be a house over here. Of course, Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu, from decades, having spent there in Mecca, particularly with the Prophet he knew exactly where Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha lived. So he gives, him, gives the slave directions to the house of Zainab, and says that I need you to go there, I need you to deliver this package for me there, to a woman. The slave arrives and gives her the package. She's very kind of apprehensive, she's very you know, apprehensive, but nevertheless she takes the package, she opens it and she finds that there's a ring. And she recognizes the ring, that it's the ring of her father. And so she asks the slave, who gave this to you? And he said, there's a man, and he's got another man with him, and they're waiting out at the place of Batan Ya'jaj. And now by this time, Abu Asad returned back, and 
informed her that look, you need to remain ready, you need to pack your bags, you need to be ready to go. I've made a promise to your father, I do not intend to break my promise. And if you remember, I talked about it previously as well, the Prophet ﷺ, even before he became Muslim, Abu Al-As, even before Abu Al-As would ever become Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ had praised Abu Al-As for being a very honest, upright, dignified man. That he was always very respectful to the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ. So he respected that about him. So he said, I'm gonna keep my word to your father, you stay ready to go. Now when she receives this ring, she tells Abu al-As, my father has sent someone with his ring as a signal that it's time for me to go. So he says, okay, perfect. Now in order to be able to, maybe there was a particular reason, maybe uh, not, so not to be as visible, to try to be a little undercover, um, actually, before I even get there, there's a narration in the Sirah of Ibn Ishaq uh, that Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr, Abdullah, the son of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, relates from Zainab radiallahu anha herself that while I started to prepare to now depart uh, and leave Mecca, Hind bint Utbah, Hind, the daughter of Utbah, Utbah who was killed at the Battle of Badr, her brother um, Sheba was also killed at the Battle of Badr, her uncle Rabi'ah uh, was also killed at the Battle of Badr. Right? So all of, many of her family members had been killed at the Battle of Badr. He, she says, Zainab radiallahu anha says, this woman Hind, and she was married to Abu Sufyan. So she was married to Abu Sufyan, her father was a leader who was killed at Badr, so was her brother, so was her uncle. So she came to meet Zainab radiallahu anha, and she said, Yabnata Muhammad, alam yablughni annaki turidina luhuqa bi abiki? She says, listen, O daughter of Muhammad, I've received the news that you intend to try to go and be with your father. So Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha explains why she responds the way she does, but she says, ma aratu dhalika, I don't know what you're talking about. فَقَالَتْ أَيْ إِبْنَةَ عَمْ She said, listen. إِبْنَةَ عَمْ means like my cousin. It's a way like saying sister. Listen, you're like my sister. Listen, you're like my sister. She says, لَا تَفْعَلِي Don't do that. Right? إِنْ كَانَتْ لَكِ حَاجَةٌ بِمَتَاعٍ مِمَّا يَرْفُقُ بِكِ فِي سَفَرِكِ أَوْ بِمَالٍ تَتَبَلَّغِينَ بِهِ إِلَىٰ أَبِيكِ فَإِنَّ عِنْدِي حَاجَتَكِ فَلَا تَضْ فَلَا تَطَّنِي مِنِّي فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ بَيْنَ النِّسَاءِ مَا بَيْنَ الرِّجَالِ She says, listen, don't, act, don't be this way. لَا تَفَعْلِي don't, don't lie to me. Don't, don't be this way. She says, look, if there's anything that you need that would, that would come in handy during your journey, or if there's anything that I can do that will help you reach your father, then please come and talk to me. I will help you. I'll give you whatever you need. And she specifically says, don't be shy when it comes to me. I'm like your sister. And then she says, and then obviously you're sitting there thinking, right? How can the daughter of Utbah, who was killed at Badr, be talking to the daughter of the Prophet saying, hey, listen, we're cool, there's nothing here. You know, feel free to tell me whatever you need. So even she, is, she knew that Zainab was probably thinking the same thing. So she says to Zainab radiallahu anha, that فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ بَيْنَ النِّسَاءِ مَا بَيْنَ الرِّجَالِ That listen, when boys fight, women folk, we don't get involved when these boys they fight. Right? These men and their egos, 
When they fight with each other, us women folk, we don't get involved in this stuff. Alright? So she, she kind of like makes this excuse, this reason. That looks so for that reason, feel free to tell me. Of course, she was trying to get information. She was trying to extract any information she could. She says that, I didn't think that she was saying that to actually be able to do something about it. Or, or no, she says, I, I honestly think that she was sincere in what she was saying. Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I honestly think that she was sincere about what she was saying. Because good people oftentimes expect and see the best in other people. So she says, I think that she was being sincere, لَكِنِّي خِفْتُهَا But I still had to be careful. I had to be careful. فَأَنْكَرْتُ أَنَا كُنَا أُرِيدُ ذَلِكَ So I completely denied, you know, any knowledge of what she was talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Just to protect myself from any potential harm. Nevertheless now, that she's prepared, the ring has been sent by Zayd, she knows that her father has sent somebody to get her and bring her to Medina, she, they decide for her to go to the meeting place. Now, to try to not be too visible, that they see Abu al-As going, taking his wife, and they start to become suspicious. So the brother of Abu al-As, the brother Abu al-As, which uh, his name was Kinana ibn Rabi'ah. Kinana ibn Rabi'ah. Kinana who was the brother-in-law of Zainab radiallahu anha, he took her. So she got on a camel and they had what they, what's called a hodaj, almost like a, like a canopy on top of the camel. So she was riding inside of that. So that it, and typically when women folk would travel, they would travel inside of that as well to give them a little bit more privacy and make them comfortable. And further on top of that, you know, it would conceal her identity. So somebody would think, oh, Kinana's taking his own family somewhere. Right, and they could go that way undercover. So Kinana is taking, but Kinana is carrying some weapons. Kinana ibn Rabi'ah, he's known as being an archer. So he had his quiver, he had his bow and his quiver full of arrows, he had all that with him. They start going, but the problem was that they started going during the daytime. It was daytime and they decided to go ahead and go. Because they figured this was good enough of a cover. The problem was, تَحَدَّثَ بِذَلِكَ رِجَالٌ مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ Some way, somehow, the word had gotten out, prob- probably through Hind at that time, that the daughter of the Prophet is trying to leave. The daughter of Muhammad is trying to escape. And so some men showed up to intercept her on her way. The first one who approached her, his name is Habbar ibn al-Aswad. Habbar ibn al-Aswad. He saw Kinana taking a camel, and there was that canopy on top of the camel. So he pulled out a spear that he had, and he launched his spear straight into the canopy. And it struck Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha in her belly, and she was pregnant at that time. Ibn Ishaq mentions in his seerah that she was pregnant. And immediately, you know, it's mentioned she was very severely injured. So Kinana sat the camel down right away and basically crouched down, got in the position, pulled out his arrow and, you know, got ready to launch arrows. And he said, وَاللَّهِ لَا مِنِّي رَجُلٌ إِلَّا وَضَعْتُ فِيهِ سَهْمًا He said, the next guy who takes a step, I'm gonna plant an arrow in him. The next person who moves is gonna get an arrow planted in him. 
And so now you have this situation that's become extremely tense. So now it becomes somewhat of a standoff. Some of these men with Habar who have showed up are now standing, you know, they're standing their ground, trying to advance. They know Kinan is an expert archer and he's got his arrows locked and ready. And he's like, the next guy who moves a muscle, I'm going to kill him. And this whole standoff occurs. People are starting to, you know, congregate and yell and scream and run around. Panic is starting to ensue. Abu Sufyan finds out about this. And so Abu Sufyan comes running and there's some people with him. They arrive in a hurry. Abu Sufyan says, Ayyuhar Rajul, to Kinana, Ayyuhar Rajul, Kuffa anna nablaka hata nukallimak. He says, puts his hands up and he says, please put down the arrow. Let me speak to you. I'm not one of them. I'd like to talk to you. Put down the arrow. And so Abu Sufyan comes and so the uh, Kinana puts his arrows down. So Abu Sufyan comes and stands to him and he says, إِنَّ كَلَمْ تُصِبْ He says that the mistake is yours. Now here you see a little bit about Abu Sufyan. No doubt, Abu Sufyan led the army that we will talk about in the fifth year of Hijrah. Abu Sufyan led the army in the battle of the trench. Right? So there were indiscretions on Abu Sufyan's part. But we also know that Abu Sufyan would become Muslim later on. At the time of Fatshu Makkah and the conquest of Makkah in the eighth year. So, but you kind of see this intelligence on the part of Abu Sufyan. And you know, disagreements are disagreements, but you even see a certain sense of decency on the part of Abu Sufyan. So Abu Sufyan tells him, he says, in kalam tusib. He says, Kinana, the mistake is yours. The mistake is yours. They did, what they did is wrong. But you made the first mistake. He said, You leave in broad daylight with this woman. In broad daylight, you're marching out of Makkah. You know what happened. Badr happened. We were defeated. You know the humiliation that we've suffered because of Badr. وَمَا دُخِلَ عَلَيْنَا مِنْ مُحَمَّدٍ And how they blame Muhammad for everything that happened in Badr. فَيَظُنُّ النَّاسُ إِذْ خَرَجْتَ بِإِبْنَتِهِ إِلَيْهِ عَلَانِيَةً عَلَى رُؤُوسِ النَّاسِ مِنْ بَيْنِ أَذْهُرِنَا أَنَّ ذَلِكَ عَنْ ذُلٍ أَصَابَنَا People have made up their mind that if you leave in broad daylight with the daughter of Muhammad وسلم, to deliver her to him, that this will be insult to injury. You are rubbing salt in our wounds. You are rubbing it in our faces. Right? So no, you, you should have known better. And he says, وَأَنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنَّا That that proves how weak and, and you know, futile we've become. How helpless we've become. So he says, وَلَا عَمْرِي مَا لَنَا بِحَبْسِهَا عَنْ أَبِيهَا مِنْ حَاجَةً But he goes, on the other hand, understand, as a leader now of Makkah, because Abu Jahal is dead, Umayyah is dead, Utbah is dead. They're all dead. He goes, as, as the de facto leader of Makkah, I'm telling you personally, why would we want to hold Muhammad's daughter back from him and keep her here? That's, that's not how I operate. I have no need to keep Muhammad's daughter here. I would have sent her willingly. He says that, and we don't, we, we don't want to try to, you know, get back at Muhammad in this way. If we want to get back to him, we'll see him in the battlefield again. Right? You see some honor. 
Abu Sufyan is honored. He's like, well, we'll see him in the battlefield. But we wouldn't do something to his daughter. That's just not how I operate. Those are not my strategies. He says, وَلَكِنْ إِرْجِعَ He says, now go take her back home to Mecca. Like take her back home. حَتَّى إِذَا هَدَأَتِ الْأَسْوَاتِ Let things kind of calm down a little bit. Let things calm down. You've really excited people here today. Let things calm down. وَتَحَدَّثَ النَّاسُ أَنْ قَدْ رَدَدْنَاهَا And let the word get out that, yeah, see, we showed them. They brought Muhammad's daughter back to Mecca. She's still in Mecca. We're gonna hold her here. Like let people feel like they've won. Play the game. Play the game. Right? Let, let, the, let these people think that they've won. They're just thirsty for blood right now. فَسُلَّهَا سِرًّا وَأَلْحِقَا And then you leave, but then you go at night. And you go quietly. So nobody knows, nobody sees. So that's exactly what they did. Kinana, he takes Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha back to her home. Unfortunately, you know, she's been injured, so they look after her. Um, and the narration, some of the narrations even mentioned that when this plan basically happens, when they don't end up killing her and she comes back home, uh, Hind actually criticizes Abu Sufyan. She does again at the time of Fatuh Makkah, we'll talk about it. But she criticizes him and she says, فِي أَعْيَارٌ جَفَاءٌ وَغِلْضَةً وَفِي الْحَرْبِ أَشْبَاهٌ نِسَاءِ الْعَوَارِكِ Very interesting. She says that, that in peace times, in peace times you go out there, you rip your shirt off, and you go out there and you beat your chest, you act like tough guys. She says in times of peace, you go out there and you pound your chest and you act like tough guys. And then when battle time shows up, then you act like a bunch of little girls. Right? This is Hind saying this. So she's, I mean, that's kind of the sentiment of, unfortunately, of a lot of these people. Eventually what happens is that after things calm down, خَرَجَتْ زَيْنَبْ لَيْلًا She leaves at night. فَرَكِبَتْ وَرَأَهُ She basically meets um, Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Um, Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu is like a brother to Zainab, right? Because he was adopted by the Prophet And of course, we know that the ayat of Surah Al-Ahzab would come later, which would say that, fine, the Prophet adopted him, took care of him, but that doesn't make him a biological son of the Prophet But nevertheless, this is before the revelation of those verses. So at this particular time, as far as they were concerned, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha's relationship with Zayd was like that of a brother and a sister. They were very, very close. Right? Because they had both been amongst the older children throughout the entire mission of prophethood. So they had suffered and struggled together. So Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu receives her there and takes her back to Medina. The narration mentions that when she reaches, the narrations mention when she reaches Medina, unfortunately she's still suffering from the wound that she received. Alhamdulillah, she survived the journey and she would live for about, some narrations mention for eight more years. She would live for eight more years, almost nine years. She would pass away towards the end of the life of the Prophet but the narrations do mention that she was very you know, sick and ill, 
and actually suffered long-term because of the wound that she had sustained, that it was something that gave her long-term. It must have been some type of internal uh, damage or injury because of which she suffered quite a bit. Um, and the last few, li- the, all these last almost, you know, uh, six, seven, or excuse me, six, seven years of her life were actually quite difficult for her. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. She would reach the Prophet ﷺ and she passed away eventually. And the Prophet ﷺ would say about her when she passed away, هِيَ أَفْضَلُ بَنَاتِ أُصِيبَتْ فِيَّا She is the best of my children and she suffered a lot on my behalf. She is the best of my children, she suffered a lot because of me. And the narrations mentioned that Zainab anha when she uh, reached the Prophet wasallam, so it mentions that right before the, ba- the Fatih Makkah, right before the conquest. So what happened with her husband now, Abu Al-As? Abu Al-As, he returned back. So he stayed in Mecca. He stayed in Mecca. So Zainab anha goes to Medina. Abu Al-As, the husband, remains in Mecca and he is not Muslim at this time. I'm going to fast forward quite a bit just while we're on the topic of Zainab anha to just kind of complete her narrative at least. Um, that her husband, Abu Al-As, he remained in Mecca and had not accepted Islam yet. Not a little while before the conquest of Mecca happened, um, sometime before the conquest of Mecca, he, and in the sixth year of Hijrah, in the sixth year of Hijrah, so basically, um, what I'm, the event I'm about to share with you is about a year or so after the revelation of Surah Al-Mumtahina. In Surah Al-Mumtahina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it forbidden for Muslim women to be married to non-Muslim men. It was now forbidden for Muslim women to be married to non-Muslim, women, non-Muslim men. So at this particular time, if there were any pre-existing relationships between Muslim women and non-Muslim men, they were given some time to be able to kind of dialogue and discourse and figure things out if they could figure things out in terms of the men coming to Islam. But if they eventually did not come to Islam, then they were separated. And so this is after a year or so after the revelation of these verses. What happens is that Abu Al-As is traveling with a business caravan for business. They're passing by not too far from Medina, and some Muslims, because they're not sure exactly who these people are and what their intention is, because keep in mind, a lot of times the Meccans and the Quraysh would come and would spy and raid sometimes some of the Muslim people as well. So some of the Muslims, they went and they captured the caravan, and they, they basically went and captured the caravan. Abu Al-As was able to escape. He was not captured along with the rest of the caravan. So he comes to Medina. He arrives in Medina by nighttime. And he inquires, where is Zainab? Looking for his wife. Where is Zainab? So somebody tells him exactly where he can find Zainab radiallahu anha. He goes to her at night and says, here's my situation. I was traveling, you know, my caravan was captured, I was able to escape. I need some type of protection. I don't know what's going on in case you know this is going to lead to some type of conflict. I just want to make sure that I have protection. Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I grant you protection. The next morning when the Prophet ﷺ comes for the Fajr prayer, and of course, you know, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, not just the men, but the women also used to come for salah. 
five times a day, and the women would come even for the Fajr prayer. Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, who was amongst the, the women who came to pray that morning, Sarahat min suffatin nisa. She spoke up from this, the, the section, the, the, you know, the women would pray behind the men, so she spoke pre, from behind the men, from the women's section, and she said, Ayyuhannas, O people, inni qada ajartu abul Aas ibn al-Rabi'ah. I have given protection to Abu Aas ibn al-Rabi'ah. Meaning I have given him protection. He is under my protection. So if any of you come across Abu Aas and say, hey, that's a Makkah, that's a Qurayshi, what's he doing in Makkah? What's he doing in Medina, excuse me? So know that I have given him protection. Don't lay a hand on him. The Prophet ﷺ, he turns around, faces the people, and he says, Ayyuhannas, hal sami'atum alladhi sami'atu? Did you hear what I heard? Did you hear what I heard? Meaning you heard it for yourself. They said, yes. Qalu na'am. The Prophet ﷺ said, Amma walladhi nafsu Muhammadin biyadihi, ma alimtu bishayin hatta sami'atum ma sami'atum. I did not know anything about it until I just heard when you heard. Meaning this is the first time hearing about this. But, وَإِنَّهُ يُجِيرُ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ أَدْنَاهُمْ The way the Muslim community works is that based on pre-Islamic standards, even if a person was considered of low status, a person of the lowest status by pre-Islamic standards is an equal member of the community by Muslim standards. And so the lowest person in society can grant anyone protection and their protection will be recognized and respected by everyone else. So, meaning he's not saying that Zainab radiallahu ta'ala is of low standard, he's just saying that anyone can give anyone protection. And we respect it. So this is not me giving Abu Al-As protection, even though I agree with it. But my daughter has given him protection and I respect it and all of you should respect it. And so Abu Al-As receives protection. The Prophet ﷺ then, you know, goes to Zainab, they sit down, and he talks to Zainab, he says, Ay Bunayya, he says, listen, my beloved daughter, Akrimi mathwahu, honor him. Show some hospitality, be good. He says, however, wala yakhlusanna ilayki. However, be careful because right now as things stand, with him not being Muslim yet, he cannot be your husband. So don't be under the assumption that you are still married based on your previous, you know, whatever, uh, your previous relationship. Because the ayat of the Qur'an have come and he is not your husband right now. So please maintain certain limitations with him. Right? And again, you see the Prophet ﷺ and the relationship he has with his daughter and how frankly he's speaking about this with her. And, فَإِنَّكِ لَا تَحِلِّينَ لَهُ Because you are not his wife right now. So the Prophet ﷺ then sent the word, okay, who captured this caravan? And when he was told, the Prophet ﷺ told them to return everything back. He said that, look, these people were not passing through here with any type of malicious intent. So please return everything back. Everything was returned back. Abu Al-As was able to get the rest of the caravan and all the goods. He takes it back to Mecca. He delivers the goods and the investments back to everyone, whoever had invested anything or sent anything or was receiving a delivery. He gave everyone everything that they were supposed to get. And then he said, يَا مَعَشَرَ قُرَيْشِ هَلْ بَقِيَ لِأَحَدٍ مِنْكُمْ عِنْدِي مَالٌ لَمْ يَأْخُذْهُ 
Does anyone else have anything left that I owe to them? They said, no, everything is good. Fajazakallahu khairan, they all said, thank you very much, it's all good. وَقَدْ وَجَدْنَاكَ وَفِيًّا كَرِيمًا You were very honest and you fulfilled whatever trust we had. He said, good. فَإِنِّي أَشْهَدُ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ he says, good, because I believe in Allah and Muhammad as a messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, wallahi ma mana'ani anil islami indahu illa taqawwufu an tadhunnu anni innama aradtu an akula amwalakum. He says that I would have accepted Islam right there in Medina when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam showed me the, you know, honesty and the integrity that he showed me. I would have accepted Islam right then and there. However, I was, mind, I was mindful or fearful of the fact that if you received, I would have still come and given you your amana. But if you would have heard the news that I became Muslim, you would have thought that I only did it to be able to stay there in Medina and keep all your stuff. So he says, فَلَمَّا أَدَّاهَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْكُمْ وَفَرَغْتُ مِنْهَا أَسْلَمْتُ Now that I've given you what you owe, what's owed to you, excuse me, what I owe you, now I have accepted Islam. And then he left Mecca, Hajara وَلَحِقَ بِرَسُولَهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ بِالْمَدِينَةِ مُسْلِمًا Then he left Mecca, went to Medina, and arrived in Medina as a Muslim. And then the narrations mention that the Prophet ﷺ joined him together with his daughter Zainab. That the Prophet ﷺ approved of their marriage um, with his daughter Zainab. There's a little bit of difference of opinion based on the difference in narration. One of the narrations mentions that, specifically mentions, the Prophet ﷺ approved, now by him being Muslim, approved of their previous marriage. He said, your previous marriage is now valid, not that you have accepted Islam. And therefore, that is the opinion of some of the scholars. That if a man and a woman were married, and the woman accepts Islam, and the man has not become Muslim yet, they have some time to be able to figure things out. If after some time he does not accept Islam, the, the duration is discussed, how much time is that? One thing that's very interesting that you have to understand about the nature of the sharia. One thing philosophically you have to understand about our tashriya, about the sharia, about Islam, is that when, some, when, when specifics are not laid out, when specifications are not made, it is done intentionally. Philosophically speaking, it's done intentionally, deliberately. Because we're supposed to try to handle that situation as best as we can and as appropriate to our context. As appropriate to our context. But sometimes, specifics are laid out. Salah, there's no, there's no ambiguity about it. There are five prayers in a day. There are two, four, four, three, four fara'id, five times throughout the day. The timings of the prayer are laid out. Done deal. Zakat percentages are laid out. Done deal. Alright, fasting in the month of Ramadan, specifics are laid out. Done deal. Right? Certain things are specifically laid out. The nikah contract is specifically laid out. Ijab, qubul, mahar, shahidan. You have to have the proposal, the acceptance of the proposal. You have to have the gift, the marriage gift from husband to wife. And a minimum of two formal witnesses. Specifically laid out. So some things sharia, Islam very specifically lays out. So that there's no ambiguity, there's no confusion. It's specific. Sometimes those specifics are not laid out. So that we handle them to the best of our understanding and our social context. So class, it's cl some classical fuqaha, classical scholars said, the time duration that they have 
to try to see if he will come to Islam so they can maintain their family, is the duration of the idda, the waiting period after divorce, which would be three months. So three months is an appropriate enough time for them to figure things out. However, that's just an extrapolation. That's called ijtihad, it's an extrapolation. Right? Scholars have made that conclusion based on certain you know, um, things that they saw. However, it's not conclusive by any means, shape, way or form. And we shouldn't treat it as being conclusive. That shows our narrow-mindedness and our lack of critical thinking. Alright, so consulting with scholars in a particular region, in a particular social context, in a culture, and understanding what is appropriate. And sometimes it might even vary from case to case, from person to person. If somebody has just accepted Islam, where they don't know anything about Islam, how are they supposed to be going about educating somebody else about Islam? Right, so you have to consider a lot of the variables. Nevertheless, some of the scholars based on one narration that the Prophet approved of their previous marriage and said, now that you, are Muslim, you guys were not technically, it was not okay for you to be married, but now that you've accepted Islam, that thing that was prohibiting your marriage, that was obstructing your marriage, has been removed. So now you resume your marriage. That's one position. There's another narration that says, no, the Prophet ﷺ conducted a new nikah. And that is the opinion of some of the scholars, that a new nikah, if a certain amount of time has expired, and she has gone through the waiting period of the idda, then at that particular time, the marriage has ended, and they can remarry, but it will have to be a new marriage contract. A new nikah. Which again, is not very complicated, right? If you've ever attended a nikah, not a wedding, but a nikah. Alright, everyone understand the difference between the two? Alright, weddings are ridiculous things that last a week. And a nikah is what Islam requires. Alright, five minutes, done. Alright, so a nikah is not very complicated, not very complex. Alright, so it's, it's not very difficult. So as a precaution, a nikah, the general recommendation of the fuqah is a nikah should be done in that situation. Nevertheless, there's a couple of narrations. But the conclusion of whichever narration we take is the fact that he was now married once again to his wife, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha. He was able to rejoin his family, be a Muslim, be a son-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, as we talked about before, that not too long after he came there and he joined uh, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha there, but uh, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, she passed away. And the, the sad thing of it was that the Prophet ﷺ himself conducted the janazah of his daughter Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the narration mentions about the Prophet ﷺ actually, you know, whenever, if you've ever gone for a burial, when you lay the body down in the grave, somebody has to get down in the grave and kind of receive the body and place it down in the grave. Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself got down in the grave and received the body of his daughter and placed it down in the grave with his own hands. And he said that she, she's the best of my children, expressing his pain and his love for her. Of course, he loved all of his children, but he's at a moment of, you know, that, that pain he's speaking that she made, she's so virtuous amongst my children. She suffered so much because of me. I had to make hijrah, and she was left behind. 
And then she tried to come and join me. She lived through Makkah in the aftermath of Badr. The torture, the torment of Makkah after Badr. She tried to come and join me and was injured, lost the child. Lost her, uh, the child she was carrying. Suffered a fatal wound and injury. Suffered for years and years. All on my behalf. She was separated from her husband for years. So the Prophet ﷺ felt that pain. Of not only losing his child, but all the sacrifices she had made. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with her. So this is the story of Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha. But nevertheless, uh, you know, going back to the timeline uh, where we left off, this is the aftermath of the Battle of Badr, when a month after the Battle of Badr, the, daughter, the beloved daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, was able to come and join her father and her family and the rest of the Muslim community in Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Inshallah, um, we'll continue on studying the end of the second year of Hijrah. Inshallah, before delving into the third year. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك